Hi, everybody. How you doing? I'm going to wait a second so I can set my notes up and then uh, kind of get into this. But I'm grateful to be here with you. I won't keep you too long. Um, I generally go like two hours. No? All right. I'm in the wrong place. <laughs> you, guys, you guys ever been to a, been to church in the South? It's just kind of like an all-day thing. I'm not from the South, but I've been there. Uh, I was in the military for four years. So I had my friend who was from the South bring me to church, and I experienced church on a whole new level when I was in the military. And I decided that's not what I want to do for my church. But I'm here now. I'm a pastor. I would have never thought I'd be a pastor. Um, I became a, a Christian after I was done in the military, so around uh, 23, 23 years old, 22 years old. And I'm 34 now, so I'm too old to be here. But when I get invited to speak, I can be with you guys. So I'm excited to be here with you. I, uh, what's the cutoff age for this group? Anyway, 28. Gosh, man, you grow up quick. I'm telling you, right? I have three kids. Three kids, seven, five, and almost four. And so they make you grow up quick. And so even uh, if I don't look 34, I feel all of 34 and, but uh, I get excited anytime I get to preach the word of God. So I'm going to get excited. And it's almost my bedtime in like 30 minutes. So I'm going to get this over with for you. But you, you guys have been in a series on 1 Peter. 1 Peter. And I get to cover 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 12 through 19. And so that is going to be the context for my message tonight. And the mess, message that I want to preach to you is on discipleship. Because if you look at Peter and who he was, he was a disciple of Christ. And so the title of my message is called The Dilemma of Discipleship. And what a dilemma is, as many of you know, is a hardship. It's a, it's a decision you have to make on a hard matter. It's a dilemma. It's a predicament. It's a conundrum, whatever else you want to call it. Like a dilemma is something that is supposed to be a choice based off of something that is hard going on in your life. So whether or not you go to church on a Sunday or stay home and watch a Seahawks game, like that's not a real dilemma, all right? I know we, we over-exaggerate in our world today. You know, we're like, oh my gosh, I almost died. Did you see that dress she was wearing? Like it's, that's an over-exaggeration. Not a real dilemma. It was not a hard decision for her to pick the dress. Maybe it was, but it's not going to change your life. And I, when, I, like, when my wife gets ready to go out to dinner, it's like, what shoes does she wear? I'm just like, just pick a pair. Like, they all look good. That's not a real dilemma. That's just like a, a personal matter. I don't know. But I understand that dilemmas are different for each person because it's all relative in a sense. But a dilemma comes when you have to make a choice and when you have to make a hard choice. And being a disciple for Christ is really all about making Hard choices, because either we are walking the path of following Christ, or we're walking a path that's contrary to him. So we are either, we are walking in the flesh, or we're walking in the spirit, however you'd like to say it. Or we are following after Jesus, or we're following the things of this world. And so there's a choice to be made in our walk with God. And that's the dilemma of discipleship is the fact that every single day, even if we are followers of Christ, because that's what a Christian is, 
or a disciple is, it's a follower of Christ, every single day we're faced with choices. And it doesn't matter if you're we're one of the 12 disciples or if you're me or Michael or any one of you sitting here today, if you call Jesus your Lord and Savior, just because you're a Christian doesn't mean it's going to be easy to make a decision or easy to live this life. Can I get an amen on that? You know, this. I'm going to say it right now. This is a participation sport tonight. So if you want to say amen, or if you want to get up and run around in a circle, well, it's cool. Security will get you later. Um, if you want to wave a hanky, go for it. You can preach it, white boy, right here. You can tell me that. Re read my mail, whatever else you want to say. If you get, get the stank face, mmm, mmm, that was good. That all applies here tonight, all right? So if you're feeling it, go for it. I receive it. Just as, long, just as long as I know the word of God is getting into your heart, into your mind, and you've come with an open mind to receive. So I'm here tonight. I want to talk to you about the dilemma of discipleship because every single day you're making choices on whether or not you're going to follow God or follow something else. And so I want to encourage you. In Deuteronomy chapter 30, verses 19 through 20, I hope you like scripture because I have a few of them. Deuteronomy chapter 30, verses 19 through 20 says this, I call heaven and earth to witness against you today that I have set before you life and death, blessing and curse. Therefore, choose life that you and your offspring may live, loving the Lord your God, obeying his voice and holding fast to him, for he is your life and length of days, that you may dwell in the land that the Lord swore to your fathers, to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob to give them. Do you see the dilemma there? God has set before us life and death, blessing and cursing. So what is the deciding factor in us receiving life or death, blessing or cursing? It's our choices, isn't it? It has to be. Because who, who gets to decide whether or not we're blessed or we receive life, or whatever. It's, it's not because God is like, well, that person, I just don't like him, this person. It's, no, it's a choice of whether or not we want to choose to follow God, walk in faith, or not. Are you catching my drift? That's the dilemma every single day. Do I follow God? Do I not? Do I choose life, or do I not? And you know what it's like to be in a group of friends and just be like, Okay, do I invite them to church or not? Do I even talk about going to church or not? See, many of us, we have our friends, and then we have our, our church friends. Anybody know what I'm talking about? You're on the phone, and you're talking with one of your friends, and you're like, oh, you no, know, no, you know so-and-so, my church friend, my friend from church. Why can't they just be your normal friend? It's because we classify our church friends and our, and our friend friends. And then a lot of times, it's hard for us to reach out to that other friend who doesn't go to church and just even say that we went to church because we feel like we're going to be judged. In those moments, our decisions we make to either be a representative of Christ, a disciple of Christ, or to not. And every single time, what I've vowed to do, I guess you might think now that I'm a pastor, it's easier for me. It's not. You have, you, 
you have any idea how many times I walk through the line at, at the grocery store and I'm thinking to myself, because usually somebody's complaining about something. Anybody else ever notice that? Somebody's complaining. Every single time I'm thinking to myself, oh, I need to pray for that person. Oh, I'm not going to do it. Not gonna, I have no idea what type of can of worms this is going to open up. I don't want to be here for 30 minutes. I don't want to be here for an hour. What am I going to do? And then sometimes I pray and sometimes I don't. I have the decision to make too. Just because I'm a pastor doesn't mean it's any easier than for any of you to make the choice to step up and walk and speak and talk what Christ has put in your heart. But that's what it means to be a disciple is it's a choice that we make daily to follow him. It's a choice to follow Christ. It's a choice to be a disciple because I honestly think, I mean, there kind of is a difference in just being saved and being a disciple. Sure, it's all, it's all the same. I believe we're going to heaven. If you've confessed him as Lord and Savior, you believe in your heart that he died and rose again, then you will be saved. But in order to be a follower of Christ, I think it's a little harder to do that. I think there's a little more attached to it. Now, and I say this because if we look here in 1 Peter, let's read 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 12 through 15. Now we're going to actually get into our text for tonight. 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 12 through 15. I'm going to flip there, and I believe that actually they're going to put it up here as well if you don't have your Bible or anything else in front of you. 1 Peter chapter 4, 12 through 15. It says, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice insofar as we share in Christ's sufferings that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. If you are insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed because the spirit of glory of God rests upon you. But let none of you suffer as a murderer or a thief or an evildoer or as a meddler. Okay, so now we read this text, and all I see here is the fact that because I'm a Christian, I'm going to suffer. Did you get that? And you're thinking, well, why do I want to be a Christian then? Well, first off, we do suffer now as Christians, but the truth is we also suffer even if we're not a Christian. We just do. I, for 22 years of my life, I lived in the world. Traveled all over, been to all the different port calls. I've been to every bar, every party, every club, every scene. And I'm telling you, I suffered just as much then with insecurity, with depression, with stress, with anxiety. anxiety, Just as much as I probably suffer now, but in many different ways. But I never had an objective point of view on life and reality. Because when you don't have an objective point of view, you just wander aimlessly. And so when I found God, when I found Christ, I realized that, gosh, I still feel like I'm subject to pain, like I'm subject to suffering, that I'm subject to weakness, that I'm subject to stress. But what I had now as a Christian and what I have now as a Christian is a God to go to who is everything that I need, who is joy when I'm sad. Because these are his attributes. I mean, these are literally who God is. He is joy. He is peace. He is gentleness. He is kindness. He is patience. All of those 
fruit of the Spirit, God is. And so when I now am in the midst of my suffering, when Peter is talking to these Jews, and probably some Gentiles here, but I think he's primarily writing to a Jewish audience here because they were receiving persecution from pagan Gentiles during a time of leadership of the emperor Nero who persecuted Christians like no other. We're talking about a Roman emperor who would tie Christians up and tar them and use them as lampposts. For their ceremonies. Those Christians knew what it was like to be persecuted. Me being stressed out because I have an exam the next day didn't compare to that. But Peter is talking to these Christians and he's trying to let them know that, oh no guys, yeah, just because you're, you're a Christian now doesn't mean people are not going to like you. You're going to experience hardship still, even as a Christian. Just because we call on the name of Jesus doesn't mean it's given us an easy button to get out of life. Because we're human. We're finite human beings. We, we operate in a world that is cursed, the Bible said. We live on a cursed earth, therefore things happen. But we have a God who is able to help us through, to see us through the hardship. And that's where I find my comfort in knowing that the Bible says he never leaves me and he never forsakes me. And so when I'm struggling, I know where to go. And I pray you do too. Discipleship is always going to be a choice. It's a choice whether or not we're going to rejoice or not. Because in this text it says, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you and it rests on you as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice! How am I supposed to be rejoicing when I see other Christians being burned? That would be my thought if I'm a Christian back then in the audience that Peter is talking to during this time. How am I supposed to be rejoicing knowing that Nero's going to just blame us for the burning of Rome that's going to happen in the next few years? That means persecution was just beginning to ramp up. I mean, it could have even been in the midst of that because we don't have an exact timing of when this letter was written. It says, but rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. It's a choice for me to rejoice. Have you ever noticed that if you decide you're going to do it and you do it, and then you do it for an extended period of time, it almost becomes a habit, doesn't it? Think about it. When you wanted to start working out, you didn't have the guns right off the bat. It took consistency. It took going to the gym. And after a period of time, you then saw the results. And it happens the same thing with the way that we think and our positive mindset. We begin to speak and confess these things over ourselves. And even if I don't feel happy, I'm going to wake up in the morning and say, thank you, Lord, for your joy. This morning, I'm going to rejoice right here. I'm going to be glad. Thank you that even when that trouble, that trial, that argument comes later, I'm going to choose to have peace. So how are we waking up every single morning? We can choose to rejoice or we can choose to get mad, angry, a little bitter, upset. And so we get to choose how we're going to respond to the situations that come our way. Like, you don't have to be offended. We allow ourselves to be offended. You know that? So many of us today, we get offended real easy. We get triggered because there's trolls out there. 
<laughs> and we get triggered real easy. But it's our choice to be offended. If we choose to not be offended, then we get to continue on with our day. And so this is what Peter's telling these guys here. In the midst of your suffering, in the midst of the persecution that's happening, in the midst of our pain, we get to choose to rejoice. And so I encourage you to choose what it is you need. If it's found in God, if it's who he is, it's for you too. So if God says that he is peace, then in the midst of your chaos, in the midst of your negative thinking, in the midst of our, our bad thoughts that we have towards ourself, and the way that we look at ourselves, because we might not have a whole lot of self-worth because of what people have said to us and who people have called us and the names that they said over us, we have to choose to speak what our God says about us. And he's called us children of God. He called you an heir to the throne. And those are the things that I rejoice in, in knowing that my creator, my God, has said these things about me. I don't care what that person says about me. I care what he says about me. And so when my mind is going crazy, I say, God, I thank you for your peace because you are peace. It says in the Bible that if we keep our mind on him, that he keeps us in perfect peace because we trust in him. We have to replace those negative thoughts with the scripture and word of God because this is truth. The Bible says it's, if it says it, I believe it. Even if I don't do it, I'm going to choose to believe it. And so discipleship is a choice. These men and women, these Christians that Peter are talking to, had a choice to rejoice in the midst of their suffering. There was a, a disciple by the name of Judas Iscariot. You've probably heard that name before, right? Judas that's where the saying came from, don't be a Judas. They're talking about backstabbers, people who go behind somebody's back and do something. Judas Iscariot was one of the 12 disciples who walked with Jesus, one of the people that Jesus picked to follow him and be a part of his, their tribe. And it's like, how does a disciple in the Bible fall? We all think maybe Judas had bad intentions from the very beginning, that he was just a bad man. I don't think Judas was a bad man. He was a disciple of Christ. He was a follower. He was with them for years. Here's what happens. If we read in the Bible, Matthew chapter 26, verse 14 through 16. Let's go there. Matthew chapter 26, verses 14 through 16 says this. Then one of the twelve, whose name was Judas Iscariot, went to the chief priest and said, What will you give me if I deliver him over to you? And they paid him 30 pieces of silver, which is about a month's worth of wages. And from that moment, he sought an opportunity to betray him, him being Jesus. So this one moment in Scripture shows the thought process of Judas's carry, the one who would give the location and give away Jesus to be crucified. Now, this didn't just come on a whim. Judas just didn't wake up one morning thinking, like, I'd like to backstab Jesus. That didn't happen. If you look before it, Jesus was anointed at Bethany. And what happens there is when he's anointed at Bethany, the spikenard oil that Mary broke at his feet and blessed him because she knew he was going to the cross to anoint him for his burial. Judas was mad. 
Judas oversaw the money box, and what he'd said to Jesus and the disciples in that moment when Mary did that was, we could have sold that to the poor for 300 denarii. 300 denarii was like a year's worth of wages. So the fact that they, Mary broke that at Jesus' feet and wasted all that money, Judas was upset. And then Jesus rebuked him in that moment. How do you feel when you get publicly rebuked in front of people? Not so good, right? I don't like being corrected in front of people, especially my people. Jesus, I mean, Judas was with his homies. The 12 disciples were all there. And Jesus rebuked him. So now Judas is upset. He's probably angry, a little bit upset, a little mad. He probably went to bed that night, coming up with different scenarios, thoughts in his mind. You know, like we do when we're mad and we're angry. You ever go to bed at night with some bad feelings? Bad thoughts? Well, that's what happened to Judas. And I believe it's because of those negative thoughts he then acted on at the moment he had the opportunity. And that's the scripture we just read. He had an opportunity to talk to some of the Pharisees and make the deal with them that he would give the location of Jesus for 30 pieces of silver. And that happened because of a thought. And he acted on that thought. Discipleship is a choice. In that moment, Judas had a choice to either continue to follow Jesus, to protect him, or to give up his location. And at, because of anger and bitterness and the fact that he was probably rebu rebuked in public, he decided to go ahead and take that money. Well, we see in Matthew chapter 27, verses 1 through 5, let's read that. Is this too much scripture for you guys? Are you guys all right? Okay. I'm just making sure I'm not overdoing the scripture. Because you know what? I love scripture. I like to read the scripture. Because if it's just my words, you can't believe me. So Matthew chapter 27 verses 1 through 5 says this. When morning came, all the chief priests and the elders of the people took counsel against Jesus to put him to death. And they bound him and led him away and delivered him over to Pilate, the governor. Then when Judas... His betrayer saw that Jesus was condemned. He changed his mind and brought back the 30 pieces of silver to the chief priests and to the elders, saying, I have sinned by betraying innocent blood. They said, what is that to us? See to it yourself. And throwing down the pieces of silver into the temple, he departed and he went and hanged himself. Judas was... What he did to Jesus was based off of just a real bad decision in the moment of anger, of, of frustration, maybe some ego there. And I believe we see that here in this text because he immediately felt bad and that he did something wrong the moment they saw them take Jesus away. Discipleship is a choice. Judas had a choice, and he made the wrong one. And that, unfortunately, is the consequences of sin, guys. Is every single sin that we, that we commit, every single thing that we do that's contrary to the word of God, is there's always a consequence attached to it. That's why people say, well, is a liar worse than a murderer? Well, I think it's sin is sin, but the consequences here on this earth are a lot different. 
the person who lies is going to get in trouble with their parents or with their wife or with some, the person they lied to. But the person who commits murder is going to prison. You see what I'm saying? Discipleship is a choice. And so when Peter is talking to his brothers, when he's talking to these Jewish believers, he's trying to tell them that, guys, this is going to be your choice to endure the persecution that's coming your way. And he's trying to lift them up to say, stop thinking negative thoughts. Stop thinking about any of the other things that these pagan believers are doing to you. Rejoice in the Lord, knowing that he's still with you. Knowing that he died on that cross for you. Remember these things. That's what Jesus talked about at the, at the Last Supper. He sat there at the table. He said, as often as you meet, do this in remembrance of me. Remember me on the cross in the blood that was shed for you, in the body that was bruised and beaten for you. So when we take communion together in church or wherever we are, we have to remember all that Jesus has done. That's why I love communion. We do communion once a month at our church. Because I need personally to remember all that Jesus has done for me so that I don't want to walk away the very next day. Because the moment hardship comes, we're posed with the decision to make. Are we going to choose to keep following Christ or respond in the way that Christ might? Or are we going to go the other way? Discipleship is a choice. Let's read the next portion of our text here. 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 16 through 19. And after we read this, we'll, we'll kind of be done with the first Peter portion, but, oh man, I moved my marker. I'm going to get there. Is anybody actually using leather-bound papers tonight? Nice. I can appreciate that. Okay, first Peter chapter 4, verses 12 through 5, oh, actually we're reading... Let's see, verses 16 through 19 now. Yet, yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in that name. For it is time for judgment to begin at the household of God. And if it begins with us, what will be the outcome for those who do not obey the gospel of God? And if the righteous is scarcely saved, what will become of the ungodly? And the sinner. Therefore, let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. Discipleship also costs something, guys. Not only is it a choice, it also costs us something. And you're thinking to yourself, well, what is it, how much does it cost? Because I'm going to decide whether or not I want to follow Jesus tonight. It's not like that. I'm I remember when I first became a Christian and the moment I started inviting all of my friends that I used to hang out with all the time and party and go out with, hey, will you come to church with me? Every single one of them said, no, thank you. I was like, oh, man, okay, well, I'm going to keep going to church. Sorry you don't want to come. But I realized that over time, relationships kind of begin to go away. And it wasn't because I didn't want to hang out with them. It was because I just no longer wanted to get drunk or get high. Because why? I, I wanted to live for Christ. I wanted to be sober-minded like the Bible talks about. I, I wanted to strive for what the purpose and destiny that he had for my life. 
And I felt like I wouldn't be able to achieve the things that God had for me if I were to keep living a lifestyle that was contrary to his word. And so I realized that the more I pursued Christ, there were either people who wanted to kind of come along with me or people who wanted to just not be a part of it. So it wasn't that I was excluding people from my life. It was that people were actively choosing not to want to be a part of it. But that hurt because I was like, where are all my friends going? And like, you need to find yourself in a lonely spot because you're in the middle. Because making new friends takes time. Which is why you'll find out, like when I talk to my mom, you know, she'll always talk about a friend she has, a friend she has. I'm like, well, how long have you known? She's like, I've known them for 30 years. I'm like, great, what, like, what do you guys do together? Do you go places? Do, what do you know about her kids? Oh, no, I don't really know. I haven't seen her in like 15 years, but she's a friend. Like, well, what constitutes a friend, Mom? Because if it's just somebody you know, like, I'm not content with that. I want friendships that matter. I want somebody I can go to for prayer who will pray for me in, in, my, in my hardship, in my time of need. And so I paid the cost of losing friends, and I didn't know there was a cost attached with the decision that I made to follow Christ. It's just natural. People will either want to choose to be around you or they don't, but there is a cost for discipleship. For those of you wanting to pursue Jesus, Peter's very clear. There is suffering for us on this earth. It says, if the righteous are scarcely saved, what will become of the ungodly and sinner? He's basically saying, we will suffer now. But when that time comes for us to sit before God in that final judgment day, when we're no longer living on this earth, when we're eternal beings, we will no longer have pain and suffering. And it will be those who oppose God that will be sorry. I know this isn't a turn or burn message, all right? I'm not talking. But the reality is that there is a hell, there is a heaven. We, eternity is either going to be spent with God or not with him. And so, yes, we suffer now, but there's, there's an, an eternal glory that we get to look forward to, where there is no pain, where there is no suffering, where there is no hardship, because we're now going to be in a place of that reigns in love and peace and joy, and that will be in the presence of our Lord and Savior Jesus. Discipleship is going to cost us something. In Luke chapter 14 and verse 27, it says this, Wherever, whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. Those are the words of Jesus. And Jesus is saying this because he had not even yet gone to the cross. The disciples didn't know he was heading to the grave. Jesus kept trying to tell them what was going to happen, and it always took them like weeks, months, years to finally catch the drift on what was going to happen. But Jesus was also trying to tell them during this time that they were going to have a cross to carry. And we see in John chapter 15, it says, just as the world hates me, they're going to hate you too. Man, how many people in this room are excited to be a Christian? Right? Come on. <laughs> I personally like the challenge, so if I see the obstacle, I'd, I'm going to overcome it. Not everybody has that type of attitude, though. So when we hear persecution, when we hear suffering, when we hear pick up a cross, well, how heavy is the cross? Like, is it made out of bamboo? 
I mean, because if the cross is light, well, yeah, yeah, I might consider carrying it then. No, the idea of carrying a cross is it's going to be heavy. Because the person that they flogged or the person that had to carry it, they wanted it to weigh them down. They wanted it to be almost unbearable. That was the, that was the cost of their penalty and punishment. And so now we as Christians, we are told by Jesus to carry our cross. So every single day you might be carrying a cross because of what you believe and who you believe in. And there might be judgment passed upon you for that, but you know what? I, you get to look forward to the day when Jesus says, well done, my good and faithful servant. Our cross is worth carrying because we had a Savior who ultimately carried that cross and paid the ultimate punishment for us. And if we can live in a world where, I mean, we're, we, have it, we have it real easy in America. We do. I mean, many of us, probably all of us in this room have a roof over our head, whether it be at a friend's house or our own house. And so we have it pretty easy in America. So our cross isn't as heavy as somebody who's in Africa right now living out. And I have friends who are missionaries over to Tanzania where when you go there and you stay at somebody's home, you know, you have a piece, a slat of wood or mud or clay over the top of the roof and an entrance in. And that's, that's a home. And you know what I love most about all that, all that, Stuff that they have, they're perfectly content with it because you walk in and you see the joy of the Lord all over their face. Their cross, in my mind, looking over here from America in, is your cross is way heavier than mine. But the joy of the Lord is upon them. The joy of the Lord is upon any man or woman who chooses to follow Jesus because that is who God is. And the Bible says that each and every one of us were made in the likeness and image of God. It says that in Genesis. So if we are made in the likeness and image of God, and the attributes of God are love, joy, peace, kindness, gentleness, all of these things, then we too have the ability to operate in those attributes. Because they're in us. His Holy Spirit is in us. And so tonight before we go, because I've been going for my time now, it's been 34 minutes. I'm 34 years old. I'm done. <laughs> I just want to pray for you before I go because I know many of you are carrying a cross right now that might be heavy. And it's hard to want to be vulnerable and open with somebody you might not know very well. But that is why in the context of, as believers and spaces like this, we want to make it available to you to have somebody to talk to. That's why we do fellowship after this, this message, so that you guys can sit in a small group and build relationships, be vulnerable, be, be open. I want to pray for you because your circumstance is different than mine. And so many times we look at somebody's circumstance and we say, you should just get over that. But then when we're in the midst of our circumstance, we're like, help me, Jesus! <laughs> And somebody is looking at me saying, bro, get over your circumstance. Like, it's not that big of a deal. It's because it is a big deal, but it's relative. And I know your cross is heavy, even if I don't see it. So I want to pray that you have the power to endure. 
That's what Peter's trying to do to his brothers and sisters here. He's trying to encourage them to endure the persecution that's come their way. It's going to be a choice that you make. So tonight I, I pray that you will make a choice to keep following Christ. That you will understand the cost associated with being a disciple, but knowing that the end goal and the end result is worth it because eternity with Jesus is far better than eternity without. And so let me pray over you tonight. Would you bow your head right where you are? And all across this place, your head bowed, your eye closed. Just lift your hand up if I can specifically pray for you. I'm going to say a vague prayer, a broadening prayer, but I want to know who I'm praying for in this prayer. All across this place, if your cross is heavy and you just need the love of Christ, the peace of Christ to consume you, let me pray for you right now. I see your hands. You can put them right down. And if you're a believer, you can pray along with me. But Father, right now, we come to you in the name of Jesus. Every single hand raised in this room, I pray right now that your Holy Spirit begins to consume them, to fill them. Lord, your word says that if we ask you, that you will give us the desires of our heart. And Lord, I know that intentions are one thing, but God, what we believe, if we call you Lord and Savior, your word is true. And so, Lord, right now I pray a blessing over each and every one of these people tonight, Lord, that their minds would be at ease, that whatever thoughts that they've thought about themselves or what anybody else has said about them, that they will no longer believe it, but they'll believe who you say they are. I pray that right now, Lord, that you begin to strengthen them. Lord, that this situation and circumstance that in front of them is just a stepping stone to get to the next level. So God, right now, we just believe your word. It says that we can do all things through you who strengthens us. So right now, Lord, strengthen their heart, strengthen their mind. And Lord, give them the, the endurance and everything that they need to continue to pursue you. And may they be bold in everything that they do. May they not back down from their belief in you. Lord, I pray that they are strong. And Lord, that any time that they need something when they're, when they're scared, that they know that they can pick up the phone and call somebody from this room or from this ministry. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you, guys. That's, that's all I got. Thank you for having me.